Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. From the late 1960s to the mid-1970s, David Hammonds captivated the art world with his body prints using his naked body as a printing plate in meditations on African-American existence and later works including a snowball-selling performance in the East Village and sculptures made of hair collected from Harlem barbers. The documentary film is called The Melt Goes On Forever, The Art and Times of David Hammonds. The film does a masterful job of capturing his playful, no-bullshit spirit and conceptual integrity using archival footage and rare interviews, dynamic animation, and sound art, as well as candid accounts by eminent artists, curators, and critics to find the essence of the artist and the man. Again, the film is called The Melt Goes On Forever, The Art and Times of David Hammonds. We're joined today by the co-directors, Judd Tully and Harold Crooks. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. And thank you for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is you introduced me into the art and the man himself, David Hammonds, someone who I was not familiar with until I saw The Melt Goes On Forever. So thank you for that. Knowing David Hammonds as you both seem to know him, not only as an artist, but as a person, and then his participation in a project like this was highly unlikely. Harold Crooks, how did that impact the way you went about approaching the project? How did it impact the production of The Melt Goes On Forever, The Art and Times of David Hammonds? That's a question that's always inevitable, and we're always waiting for it. Um, as Judd said, uh, the very first thing when we finally settled on this subject uh, of David Hammonds, his career, the influences on him and the way he's influenced and uh, the art world. Uh, once we settled on this, understanding that uh, evasion, uh, tactical evasion, as someone has put it, was central to David's practice, um, that there would be no question of his participation, but we respectfully had to inform him and um, Judd, it, after whatever, decades of writing um, in the art world, about the art world, knew the exact person to contact uh, one of David's probably most important patron over the years who supported David through decades of, of the lean times before he became, I guess, what you'd call um, an international art star. We, we contacted um, David's patron, and informed him of our intention to do this. The, the email was slightly, I think, misinterpreted as us asking for David to participate, which we weren't doing, but the message came back, David is not interested, but you never know. But as far as we were concerned, we had done the necessary and respectful thing, and we proceeded from there. For our listeners, for people who are not familiar, as I was not familiar with his work, I said in the intro, he's a category-defying kind of artist. Uh, Judd, give us kind of the, give us your interpretation or the broad outlines of the work that he he's been a part of. Well, when you said that, firstly, I was thinking he would be a category five hurricane um, in terms of uh, his work. It's in a way, it's 
he's it's hard to describe what he does he's a conceptual artist that would be the category that i would place him in and as he said in the film that people were always trying to categorize him and they put him in the arta povera camp which was this uh very famous uh italian uh from the movement in the 1960s and forward of you know using cheap materials to sort of make a statement and Hammonds was not the father of found objects, but his practice has always been the cheapest material possible, whether they be chicken bones, uh, barbershop hair collected from barbershops in uh, Harlem, uh, or when he was in L.A., kind of in that same, um, you know, not being able to go into his Steve Cannon, his good friend, um, the poet Steve Cannon um, said in the film that recounting that David couldn't afford going buying expensive canvases and tubes of oil paint. It was just never really an option for him. And that he was able to create this sort of objects of beauty and, you know, from literally nothing. And, <clears throat> and I think um, also a very important part of his early practice, which he pretty much stopped doing, was making what were called body prints, using his own body to make these images and also using other people's bodies in the, like a performative practice. And it sort of confounds the imagination that he was invented this, basically. So that would be one part of it. And I mean, one of my favorite examples, you know, after knowing this about him not using canvas, not painting per se, but he would have these very large scale works that were canvas, but he would place garbage bags over the painting and there would be holes in them as if rats had bitten through them that you would see on the street in New York City of garbage black garbage bags that had been feasted upon by rats and then um it's just so and you just see a little glimpse of this sort of colors underneath and um it's very provocative i mean i i would i would say very provocative works and using hair african-american hair on a found piece of stone that would be in a way almost like a sculpture by Brancusi in terms of a shape that it would be like the shape of a head that he would then literally take the it, he took a head <laughs> to a barber shop in Harlem and had the barber sort of you know with the, the clippers yeah the clippers go at it and yeah. kind of directing it and that's what he does I mean yeah. and, and the other remarkable thing which that most of his work especially the early work would be invisible if it hadn't been for the collaboration of a photographer named Dawood Bey, who David would invite to kind of document the work, like the snowball sale at Cooper Union, uh, where he laid out in this very precise pattern, different size snowballs and selling them on the street along with other street vendors in 1983. And again, so 
and we actually found an art dealer, well, a, a woman who became an art dealer, who at the time was an art student, who literally bought one of these snowballs. And that pretty amazing. Well, throughout this, throughout this documentary, there are these kinds of threads that you find and you pull on, and we get to know more about him and his work and the people who were influenced by him and who influenced him. In terms of what I saw in the film, Harold, and it'd be, I'd love to hear what you think. I think, it, first of all, it's there's so much about his art that's about race, race in America, the African-American experience. But I, I like the fact that in the film, there's a lot of a connection to other art forms, including jazz. And if nothing else for me, jazz is about improvisation. It's about finding places in music where, where these artists go that are completely unexpected in so many ways. And I feel like there's that connection here as if he were a jazz musician. Well, that that's that's a very, obviously, a very important insight, Mike, because one thing that was very important to David was to move um, his audiences towards the appreciation of the abstract. And to some extent, his models, you know, the great jazz musicians that he looked to, um, you know, whether it was it was Monk, who was a particularly abstract pianist, Miles, and on and on and on. There was a kind of, uh, it was something that David aspired to and wanted to move his own community towards an appreciation of. He was very aware of um, the centrality of representational art in his community, but he was always striving to move it towards, well, not only towards abstraction, but there's another dimension too that must be mentioned that uh, uh, we, we deal with in the film was his becoming aware actually through a renowned um, art historian uh, at Yale, Robert Ferris Thompson, becoming aware of African art. And it was through his connection to the sacred purposes to which African art was put that he was able to introduce a sacred dimension into his own work, which really kind of resonated with his kind of critique of commercial of the commercial art world. You know, you're absolutely right, you know, that music was was a central thing. Also, in, in terms of jazz musicians as a model for how to be an artist was central to, to David's thinking as well. I love that. And I, I don't want to give more away than I need to here. But at, at the end of the film, when we're talking about we'll go back to the snowball and the explanation for what happens with the snowball and to take it into the realm of jazz musicians like Miles Davis. You know Charles Mangus, those kind of people. I just thought it was it, it, it. It's good. I mean, for people who don't know him, as I said, I didn't know much about him, and I didn't know anything about him until this film. I think it's important for people to have a, a bit of a frame of reference for him. And I, I just thought there's so much about the film to recommend. All of the different people from the art world that we bring in, all the people from his own life that you bring into this conversation about him. It's about race. It's about it's about America. It's about it goes back as far as you want to slavery, you know, the, the Atlantic crossing, all of the things that are, have made such an impression on our society and a vastly important part of the American experience for African-Americans. So to mm. me, that's, to me, that's the thing that came across in the film, the most. Mm. Yeah. Well, as, as our executive producer, Lisa Cort Cortez has said, um, 
when she joins us in post-screening Q&As, this film is about more than the art world. And, you know, you've touched on it. It's that whole history. And he, he begins, you know, in the 60s, in the, uh, when the art world itself is an apartheid art world. And um, we travel with him through time till, you know, that astounding um, exhibition that he curated at MoMA in which he uh, brings, you know, his his art teacher back in the 60s, Charles White, in a two-person show with Leonardo. Yes. Well, that's the other thing. There, there's, there's that humor. There's more. It's, 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 yeah, there's things that are going on in, in his art, but there's that. And as, as is said in the, in the film, the idea of, the artist as a scammer as well, which is this sort of beguiling and, you know, uh, kind of part of part of the story as well. Right. Absolutely um, a trickster. Yeah. A trickster. That's a good way to put it. And just watching the film and as our, before I go any further, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the uh, co-directors of this terrific documentary film called the melt goes on forever. The art and times of David Hammonds. And it will be opening at the Film Forum in New York, I believe, on May 5th, and then hopefully rolling out across the country for us to all have an opportunity to watch this. In watching his work, I want to go back to something I mentioned earlier, the slave trade, the importance of that and the impact it had on the Africans who were brought here and the impact it continues to have on our country. That's such an important part of his work and his vision. Reconcile the, the aftermath of the Civil War in American society for me has been one of the most important parts of American society to to this day, we're still grappling with the the impact of the Civil War. David Hammonds is talking about the story before that. And I mm. think it's something that you know, we, we're grappling with the, with our part of the story, right? The Civil War with the white people. We're not really grappling with what happened to get to that point. Does that sound right? Uh, of course, absolutely. And that was, I think, David's attraction to uh, Robert Ferris Thompson's bringing to him a kind of deeper knowledge of the the art of um, of, of you know the sacred practices uh, of his ancestors. But I think there's another important point to make that D David is not only looking back over that horrific history, but as um, a contemporary of his, another, another well-known um, African-American artist, Glenn Ligon, has put it in reference in writing about David's art. Um, he said that, you know, he says that David's art and art practice is a deep critique of American society, a critique of the elite art world, but also looks forward to a utopian kind of future that's not not defined and and so it's that space that i find so compelling about david's work it's not merely a critique but it also in in glenn ligon's word is utopic there's a utopic mm -hmm. dimension and he ref and david refers to it several times in the film where he wants to somehow take uh the dominant culture mm -hmm. his culture and kind of find a way to meld them together into something new, a new language. So he's, you know, that, that is an, a, a, not an insignificant part of his practice. Yeah, and, and the, the um, 
I was just thinking of uh, like one of his, you know, best known works is uh, something called the uh, African-American flag, which he designed and came up with in 1990 for an exhibition in, um, that took place in Amsterdam, uh, at, which is talked about in the film. And the fact that that flag has become a kind of symbol of the Black Lives Matter movement, where you see it in marches. And you, I'm in Soho, and I was walked out one day, and this guy, young guy on a bicycle is riding along, and he's got a little African-American flag, like on flying and on his uh, handlebar. And I was like reaching for my phone, trying to get a picture of it, but he moved on too quickly. But it's, it's, it's amazing that Hammonds has these sort of these anticipatory reading of tea leaves of things that, you know, keep resonating. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for this film. The film is called The Melt Goes On Forever, The Art and Times of David Hammonds. And we've been joined today by the co-directors, Harold Crooks and Judd Tully. Harold is also the writer and Judd is the producer. To both of you, thank you so very much for your time today and for this wonderful film. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.